What you do for a living does not define who you are in life. Hey, welcome to Keep the Change, where each week we will hear from real people who have broken the chains of their past and accomplished extraordinary change in the present. What's up, all you Keep the Changers? Man, we're glad you're with us this week. This one is extra special. You know, I always say this is a special one. You're going to really love this. But let me tell you, with all enthusiasm and authenticity, you're going to love this. Most of the guests I have on here, frankly, I, in many cases, have not met before. But this week's different. This week is a really good friend of mine. He's a partner in our Celebrate Recovery that Mary and I do in Chandler, Arizona. He's actually one of the, what we call a teammate. We have this acronym, T-E-A-M. And the T is teaching. The E is the encourager. The A is the assimilation person, Mary and myself. But Wade Mulhauser is with us today, and he's the encourager. And you're going to see why he's encouraged so many people to go from the broken to a place of peace. Welcome, Wade. What's going on, dude? Super happy. Super happy to be here, Bart. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet, man. So you have a journey that is extraordinary. As a matter of fact, was on 3TV last week being interviewed by Scott. I think Scott's last name is Passmore. And he was on, you were on Wednesday, right, Wade? Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. And then I, ironic thing is I was on Tuesday and here we are this week on the same podcast. Who would have thought that? You know, it just works out that way. It's amazing. Yep. That's how God works. I tell you. So tell us a little bit about what you have going on. Wade owns a number of homes for sober living, but that's not all he's got going on. So Wade, talk to us a little bit about you and just let it roll, man. Where you are currently and where your your vision is for for what you want to do in the recovery community. Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, thank you for having me. Thank you for being such a, a leader and a mentor to me on the Celebrate Recovery team. I'm absolutely honored that you would ask me to be on your podcast. As far as what I have going on now, I own sober living homes here in the Arizona and Phoenix Metro, specifically in the Chandler Gilbert area. If you're not familiar with the sober home, there's lots of different references for them. Halfway homes, three quarter homes, sober livings, recovery residences, group homes. They they all kind of get umbrellaed under the same thing. What makes mine a little bit different is I truly make them look like homes. You know, they have TVs in rooms, decorations on walls. They're just good places for people to recover from, you know, all the hurts, habits and hangups that life has thrown at them and that they're personally struggling with. I started with one last year at the end of September. I have seven houses as of current date. You know, God has been super good and blessed me with a lot of cool people in my path that has allowed me the opportunity to keep growing and to continue to reach my hand out to more and more people that need to be served. And and that's what it's really been about. A little over a year and a half ago, I was, you know, blessed with the opportunity to be introduced to you and Mary and took me into your home and we started meeting on a weekly basis with this dream to open up Celebrate Recovery at our large church right down the street from where I live, that I always had these these dreams and, and God had always put it on my heart that this place needs to celebrate recovery. And, you know, with very, you know, little research or reaching out on my own, it just so happens that a friend connected us together and I got introduced to you and, and in your house. And 
you were the exact leader that we needed to, to get this thing off the ground. So, you know, I'm, I'm super happy to, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but to come up on our one year anniversary of actually being open. And then on the side of that, I, I'm actually uh, working on a project to bring a new meeting hall, a place for 12 set fellowships to meet to the Chandler Gilbert area, because it is super underserved community when it comes to those groups meeting together. So a lot just kind of speeded out there, but a lot going on, super blessed in so many different ways. And and yeah, it's, it's exciting stuff. We about, what has it been? A couple of years ago now, Mary and I decided to invite everybody in our home, but I want to tell the, the story a little bit, Wade, because you're such an integral part of it. In 2014, I, along with my friend Mitch Nash, went to the leadership at the church, Cornerstone Church in Chandler, and we asked them to restart because they had done Celebrate Recovery before. We asked them if we could restart it. And and we had such a two people that were just blessed with long-term sobriety between the two of us. I think we had like 70 years of sobriety. And I think that happens because we're both old <laughs> and we both didn't drink. He's older than me, though. I'm going to give you, give him that and a few more years of sobriety. But we went to them and they said no. And they didn't say like that, frankly. They did say no, like we just don't have the facilities. If you know anything about self-break recovery, so there's an area that people have to eat, then it's worship, then it's a big group, and there could be hundred people in the room, and then we break off into small groups with men and women. So it is logistically challenging for some churches, but we didn't give up. Um, Mitch ended up going to another church because he wanted to go to a church that had a solid recovery, and I stayed in there, and I kept bugging him. When the student's ready, the teacher appeared. When God is ready, does it. And in 2020, I was sitting in a a small group with a bunch of people that were my age and older. And we were talking about what's next. And I said, I wanted to speak recovery all over the country. And then Rick, who was the small church leader at Cornerstone at the time, said, how about doing a separate recovery? Like you, Wade, I said, yes. And the result of that was within a few months, Mary came and joined me. And then you showed up. And here, one year of being at Celebrate Recovery. But what I want to say is that every week during the pre-year where we just got to know each other and become better leaders, we'd meet every Sunday at our church, at our house. It was like church at our house and we'd eat and we all gained 25 pounds, all of us, because the food was ridiculous. And then we finally launched last September. And again, we're coming up on one year on September 11th. And we're inviting everyone who's watching this to come join us, of course, on Church and Chandler. And that's one of the reasons that this timing is so good that I've got my brother Wade joining me because he's been such a great leader. And I knew that if I ever stepped in this ministry for any reason, Wade would be a great guy to take over. We've talked about this privately. He didn't know I was going to mention this here, but he's but he's just an incredible leader himself. But more importantly today, let's talk about, Wade, what you're able to do, what the vision for you was, and what you're able to do in the community. What we know is that, like you said, you've got seven houses. That's ridiculous, because when I met you, you didn't have any, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sure. You told me just about an hour ago, one of the challenges of today, somebody was smoking something they weren't supposed to in one of the rooms, and that caused, that causes, obviously, that can't happen, that's not allowed. And so the challenge of having sober living homes, taking this on, you didn't do it just for the money, you did it because of how you're making it 
difference. But you've got to have a mentality. You know what? I'll love them no matter what. But if they're using, they can't stay here. So tell us, if you would, the great things about it and what you're doing for the community, but some of the challenges, man. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I can start with the challenges. The challenges are when you get into this thing, it's, it's what you sign up for. But you're dealing with, I mean, I have right now 70 people that are technically in my care, right? And seven personalities, that's 70 different backgrounds, that's 70 different, you know, things that they are coming from and their hurts, habits and hangups between not only them, but this is a family disease. So every day can look a little different. You know, I'm super grateful for the days that are pretty calm and, and nothing happens. There's nothing that I really need to tend to. But those days are a little fewer and far in between with the number of people that we're talking about. So the challenges are you can be you can be up at five in the morning with a text from from mom who's a little bit worried about not hearing from her son in a couple of days or, you know, a husband that is concerned with some texts that his wife may have sent him at 1130 at night. And then I can deal with, you know, getting woken up in the middle of the night at 1130 because someone needs to talk, right? They have something that they really need to talk through. They're struggling. Maybe somebody relapsed or there's an issue where, you know, they come home and they're under the influence of some sort. And then it's the protocols in place of what do we have to do then? So I would love to tell people it's, you know, it's all rainbows and butterflies in good times, but you get to see the the reality of of what addiction and you know even some mental illness can can do to people. Yeah, you know what? God chooses people that He thinks can handle it, right? God chose Moses. God chose Noah, and to put you in the same boat, excuse me, as Noah and Moses. But the reality is. God doesn't give us, you know, how's that saying go? He doesn't give us any more than we can handle. I don't know about that. But what I do know is that if we tap into him when we're doing it, it certainly makes us better than any, makes us, it helps us do more than we ever thought we could do, right? And once you say that, you took on, when you say I've got 70 people under my tutelage that are really your kids, man. I mean, even though a lot of them are older than you, you're the, you're the, the den father of all of these, but these aren't just, Hey, he was mean to me. This is life and death. Like you said, mental health stuff. In many cases, people trying to stay sober, they want to, they're passionate about it means, means everything to them until it doesn't. And it's just, it takes a special person to do. I've never talked about this. What was it that made you think I can do this? What was it that made you think, you know what, I'm built for this? And what's cool, too, though, is you've got family members that are part of it now. Your dad came down from Minnesota. He's also he's your partner. That's way cool. Tell us about the thing that said, yep, that's my calling. That's what I should be doing. You know, I don't think it would be one thing specific that that said, this is my calling. Yep, I should do it. But the cool thing about getting sober this last time and really developing a relationship with God is I have this firm foundation in Jesus Christ, in God. And I do believe when the Holy Spirit is talking to me. And I think there's lots of times, you know, when I was younger and I could feel that what I call it, you know, some people call it a conscious or, or whatnot of, you know, what's right and wrong, or, you know, when things continually come upon your heart and 
for the longest time through my addiction, I would just shut that down. You know, these things that would come up, it was just shutting down and, and maybe, oh, that was a weird thought. But this last time in sobriety and developing that relationship and what I come to know is, is the Holy Spirit speaking in me and, and stirring in my heart is these things that continually came up. One of them was, you know, the celebrate recovery at Cornerstone. Another one was that I should be doing sober living. I had numerous experiences in sober living that uh, none of them necessarily terrible experiences. I had been in both good homes and bad homes, but I did believe that there was a space for me to come in and, and improve upon what I had seen. And it was something that consistently showed up, something that consistently came upon my heart. And after stirring around it so many times, I ended up going in and starting to look at houses and looking at the process and how that would take place and, and how I could even do that. And you know, I probably should have asked for a lot more help than I did. I was pretty stubborn and, and had to learn a lot of lessons the hard way. But, you know, I'm super grateful for that experience today because I really do know the ins and outs of of how that happens. So, you know, what started with just something that stirred on my heart, you know, was followed by a little bit of action. And I know in, in a book I read and also in the Bible, it talks about faith without works is dead. And to not only have that faith, but to start putting in the legwork on making this thing a reality. It was something that time and time again, um, I just knew I was on the right path with the way that it made me feel inside, right? With the way that I continually felt when I was putting in the action and then seeing the little success stories, maybe someone who couldn't stay sober for a single day, you know, puts a week together and then picks up their month chip and then picks up their six month chip. And or people who picked up a year chip. It's just those little things that, you know, reaffirmed what had God had put on my heart the entire time that the, that I was doing the right thing and I was on the right path. So I wish I could point it to like one moment, but it was more going back to that adage of the faith without works is dead. It was the faith that, that continually was on my heart and then putting in the work and that, that affirmation and seeing the good. But I will tell you, you know, straight up, this is not for the lighthearted or the, the uneasy because there's there's lots of things that happen along the way as far as like mishaps, overdoses. I had one of the first guys who was ever in my house actually overdosed and died, not in the house, but when he had left and you know got back into addiction. And that one hurt because I, I really grew close to him. But it's easy to get jaded in this thing when you see a lot of people fail or you know, maybe you feel like you were lied to, but you come from a place of empathy and you come from a place of compassion, you realize like they're not doing these things to you and that this is part of the disease and you're not there to look for those stories. You're there to look for the successes and where you're making an impact. Like, you know, somebody's telling me that their son has been sober and, and came to Christmas for the first time or went to church for the first time and, or I got my family back together and my kids are back in my life. Like those are the little things you do it for. So, you know, what? those aren't little things, man. Those are big things. I mean, that that somebody come up, came up to you and said, you know, my life is different because I stayed in your home or or my husband's different because he stayed in your home. Oh, my gosh. That to me, I'm sure. And I know because I get to do a lot of ministry, too. That's what makes it all worthwhile. Right. And exactly. God calls us, I think, Wayne, not to be jaded. And God calls us 
to keep our heart. Jesus never got jaded. And through all the stuff he saw, he never got jaded. But it can it's easy. I get it. It's like I've sponsored people, frankly, where I just want to shake them. It's like, dude, really? And you and I know somebody in particular that every time his lips would move, he'd lie. And, you know, in my world of business, if I'm coaching someone and they're going to lie to me, it's they're, they're, they're not part of my coaching team. I coach them anymore. And it's not that easy, though, when you sponsor somebody and mentor them because it's life and death. And I want to hang on. I want to make sure I'm compassionate. I want to make sure I'm loving. But, man, sometimes it's hard. And yet I have a situation, actually, again, you know the person, Wade, where I had to fire myself because, frankly, I wasn't a very good sponsor for this guy. And I wouldn't say I gave him to somebody else, but he got another sponsor within our team pretty good. And, you know, part of me is like, really? And another part of me says, yes, this isn't about me. This is about God. It's about recovery. It's death. And I learned, I think, through that experience to be more compassionate. I learned to not be so impatient. I learned to listen better and love no matter what. So I get it. And I'm I'm proud of you because it's your business. But more importantly, it's your ministry, right? Yeah. So talk to me. You didn't just trip into this where you decided to get some houses. You've got, you've got a past. So yeah. tell, tell us, go back to as far back as you want. You're an athlete in the past. You were a high-level athlete, but then everything kind of fell apart. So tell us a little bit about all of that. Your childhood brought you to that place of pain. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you, you kind of said, summed it up perfectly is played athletics all my life, played at a high level, had injuries. Uh, My parents had gone through a a pretty nasty divorce. And I think that, you know, what I was able to always turn to was sports and going that much harder and and in those areas. And after an injury, being introduced to opiates, I've finally finally found a drug that not only eased my mind from all these things that... uh, separated me from everybody around me that I had always felt in my head and how I was separate other. But now with all these outside factors going on with my family unit, being in group homes and foster care and stuff like that for a little bit of time, I finally found something that could ease my mind and and also allow me to do what I loved, which was sports. And, you know, when I picked it up for the first time, I never knew what it would turn into or the beast that I was about to unleash. But I did know that I loved it and I did know that I wanted more of it. And if I could feel like that every day, that's how I wanted to feel. I did not know that that was going to lead me to, you know, a failed relationship and a broken off engagement month before my wedding down into Arizona, moving from Minnesota to Arizona and going to countless rehabs, countless detox, you know, all the different facilities and mental health facilities that they could get me into. And then, you know, as low as like the streets of, of Phoenix and, and Mesa, Arizona, holding a sign for money and sleeping by a canal and places that I really had no business being. And it was never a life that I ever saw for myself, but it is where my addiction will absolutely take me if gone untreated and without any sort of reliance upon something bigger than myself. And I think the hardest thing for me to separate from myself in this whole fiasco was it was really hard to separate that in some areas of my life, 
I could will myself out of situations. I could try harder. I could read the book. I could find the technique and it would allow me to have success. But in this one area, it was like, no matter what I did, I was on a collision course with disaster, even though I could maybe maintain it for a little bit of time. What was bound to happen every single time was I couldn't maintain it. And no matter whose hopes I built up, including my own, they were all going to they were all going to fall down. So you're an athlete. You're a baseball player, correct? Yep. And and how old were your parents divorced? Uh, It was my sophomore year of high school. Mm. And how how did that how that affect you? Was devastating for you? Tell me. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was it was definitely devastating. It was a situation where I think a lot was uncovered between their relationship. Um, My dad who struggled with addiction, but it was my dad, you know, like he had never done anything bad to me. Like he'd always been there for me, but my mom obviously didn't want me to stay or be around my dad while he was an addict. And I wanted to be around my dad and I kind of got caught in this middle situation where if I couldn't be with one, I wasn't going to be with the other one. And It ended me going into foster care and then into a couple of group homes. And then, you know, a friend's family took me in for a little bit and then they let me go. And then I had to go to another group home. And that's how I pretty much spent my entire 10th grade year. And, you know, it's not only hard on probably any kid when you're going through a divorce and not to say that my pain is different than anybody else's pain. It's my pain. So I can only speak from my experience, but the pure humiliation I felt from being this person who had built this identity through being a really good athlete. I was popular in school, you know, three sport, basketball, baseball, football athlete, the humiliation of having to be in a group home and the humiliation of, you know, the normal friends that I would hang around their parents all of a sudden not allowing me to come to their house when I felt I had done nothing wrong other than, you know, be caught up in this situation. was just a perfect cocktail of emotions, resentment, everything you can think of that when, you know, this drug came along, it was, it was the perfect combination for me to kind of just latch on to something. Cause that's all I was trying to do is latch on to something. And how do you find it? Just being in the group home, it was there was that the drug was what it was at the time it would have been Oxycontin. Okay. okay. Did somebody give you some at the group home or how, what was that trigger? No, I had, uh, I had actually gotten an injury. My, it was the, the exact same timing. My sophomore year in football, I was a quarterback and I got hurt in or hit in the spleen and my spleen was thrown into my spine. So I ended up in the hospital and, you know, they'd given me the morphine clicker and then the oxycodone and Vicodin and, and all of those. So that's where kind of the abuse stopped or started, excuse me. And, you know, from there, it just progressed. I always had some arm trouble from baseball, and then I re-injured that. And so I was able to get Vicodin prescriptions. So everything kind of just fueled each other in that time. And to be quite frank and honest, I was also probably pill-seeking a little bit as well, because on this thing, I could play harder. I didn't feel pain. I could throw longer. I felt like I threw faster. I was able to delude myself into thinking that this was something that I needed. Right, right. Well, thank you for your just credible transparency. My my guess, best guess, and I kind of, without going too deep in it, just that living in a home with a mother and father, and you have a sister too, correct? Yeah. You have other family members. Yeah. Older sister. And then all of a sudden you're in a group. Say again. I said an older sister. 
And then all of a sudden, you're in this group home, and the whole world changed. The whole you're up on a pedestal. Life was great. You're the stud athlete. Everything's going good. You had the mask on. You had perfume on the pig, but nobody saw the pig. They just smelled the perfume. They looked at you, and they you're a good looking guy, and that everything's rolling. And then boom! Did you ever ask yourself why me? Did you ever say? You're a person of faith anywhere growing up, or tell me a little bit about faith at that point. Yeah, I had gone to church. I had always believed in in God. Um, however, I didn't really agree with a lot of the religion aspects that I was seeing around me. And, you know, I, I would say that the God that I had had in my life at that time was a very punishing God. It was more me treating God like Santa Claus. Like, what do I need to do to get what I want? You know, like, how can I be good this year for you to bless my life? And then when all of this, and you, you described it perfectly, came crashing down, it was, what did I do to deserve this? Why me? You know, why does it have to look like this? Like, I had everything, and I've spent so much time and work to, to build this up. And again, I think it was, I can look back now and see that the reality check of, you know, God had done so much for my life. It wasn't all the stuff that Wade did. And I was able to be brought to my knees in, in a second. And without a strong faith and reliance upon him, there was really nothing I had left to latch onto when that identity got pulled away. Hmm, wow. So here you are, group homes, you found Oxycontin. It was your drug of choice. Am I correct? Yes. Pretty much. And tell me a little bit about you're on the streets you had a sign, you're begging for money. You said the other day that you weren't a real good homeless person, I think is the way you worded it, maybe. And, and, and I mean, who is, right? Yeah. Everybody probably thinks has huge mental health issues. I find is not necessarily true. It probably, they could. There's a lot of people on the streets with mental health issues. If it started with addiction, it could have been they had mental health issues before, but there's... Normal people, quote unquote, can get on the streets, right? Oh, yeah. And 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 so my question is, what did you, as you look back at that experience, I want to hear how you got through that. But as you look back at it, what the one message or the one that you pulled out of that darkness that really allowed you today, allows you today to look at back at it and say, boom, I had to go through that. What was the learning lesson maybe God was putting you through, man? I think, and that, that's a very good point. And I, I've reflected on that time period a lot. And I think, you know, it has a kind of a, a duality to it. Part of it was that, you know, his protection and care through the darkest of times. There were a lot of situations that I probably shouldn't have been in, didn't need to be in. I look around me and ask, why am I here? Like, this isn't who I should be. Because I did have a good upbringing, a good childhood. And, you know, after that, good jobs and stuff like that, that had all happened previously to me going homeless. And, you know, even in those dark times and those dark situations, like he was always with me. So that would be one thing I always took out of it. And then the second thing is, I think it had to happen or had to be part of my story and the way that it did, because there, those are experiences and those are things that I can now go out in the industry that I, I work in and I can directly relate to people and show them you can go from this and God can turn you into this with a little bit of, of work and faith. And 
Those are people that I would have never been able to relate to. And I go into rehabs all the time and I speak and I bring meetings in and do this type of stuff. And people pop up when those certain people pop up when, when they know that you can relate to the exact experience, right? Living with nothing but a backpack, sleeping by a canal, trying, you know, the only way you can sleep is being so high that you finally pass out because you're not able to sleep because you're so scared. Those types of feelings that, that, other people really couldn't relate to, but they know when you say it with absolute truth that that's part of your story, you know, having no business to like steal, but the only thing you can eat is like a candy bar that you have to try to get out of a gas station and run out or whatever it is. Like those experiences, being able to meet someone on that level and then show them that there is a way out of it is the exact reason that that I was put through it. I believe that today firmly. Wow, man, I just get chills when you just said that. It's like God planned all of this. He gave you a great childhood. He gave you tremendous adversity. I mean, I've known some friends who have done work in groups, and I get that that is a neglected group. Those people that have to be in group homes, the young men or women that are 15 16, 17, and what he wants them, right? And they don't know what's next. And to hear you say that, to be in that in that place, that brokenness, and then for you to be on the street, which I'm sure you tell me, but a lot of people go from the group home to the street if they have no direction, right? I mean, right. once they're out of the group home, where are they going to go? So did that. What took you mentioned your faith a lot. You're deep in your faith. I get it. We hang out. We talk about this. But what happened, man? I mean, you have now, you are in a place, and again, blown away because of God, how God's used you step by step by step by step. The synchronicity of all of it. And here you are today helping those people that where you were, time none was standing. So tell me, what happened? How'd you break out of it? What was the thing? Was God, where'd God show you? How did you get to that place of thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have to be addicted to dope. I might, I want to be addicted to hope. What happened? Um, What happened was realistically is I had ran through all of, all of my other options. I had felt like I had tried everything at this, at this point, I was super angry with God. But again, I'll go back to that upbringing of the, only God that I knew in this treating God like it was Santa Claus and how do I have to act or behave to get what I want and never really understanding the Bible, never really getting into the reading, never really, you know, having an honest relationship with anything other than what I had been taught as a very younger kid, which was like three set prayers, you know, go to church on all the major holidays, that type of stuff. And what happened was I ran out of options. And when I ran out of options and I felt like I had tried everything this last time through, I really didn't know if I wanted to be sober forever because like, I didn't know how to stay sober. There was times in little bouts that, you know, maybe I put a month together. There was one time where I actually put up to 10 months together, but I always knew it invariably led to me picking back up again. And so I knew that I'd want to keep getting high because I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired, but I also wasn't sure like I could maintain sobriety. So I wanted to try again and I was really going to actually chalk it up. I was in Minnesota and I was going to fly back down here and I was pretty committed to just losing my job at a tech company I was working for and going back to being homeless. And, you know, something inside me just said, okay, like 
go to a meeting today. Just go to a meeting. So in my hometown, in a small podunk town in Minnesota, I went to an AA hall and I was going to fly out that night and nothing crazy happened in that meeting, nothing like that. But I did hear a little bit of the message. And when I left, I just said to myself, you know what? I'm going to stay here today. I'm going to attend the meeting tomorrow. Like I won't get high today, but if I want to get high tomorrow, I can always go back to Arizona tomorrow and I can always be homeless tomorrow. And I did that for about a week where I just kept showing up to this meeting and kept telling myself, like, I won't get high today, but if I want to get high tomorrow, I'll leave and I'll get high tomorrow. And uh, what happened in that week was I started hearing a message that was different than the message I was hearing down here. And I think it was just God putting me in the right place at the right time, which was a message that God could do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And that, you know, at some point in time, as long as I put in the work that those thoughts of wanting to use would eventually go away and that monkey would get off my back. And I knew that this time through the work, I wasn't going to have any huge revelations, but I also wasn't doing it for some selfish reasons. I was doing it just because like, that's what God would have me do and to build a, a better relationship with him. And I got to hear a message of having an honest relationship with God, which to be very transparent, started with a lot of four letter words of what I thought my life looked like and how I felt like he didn't show up and how I felt like, mm -hmm. why did this person have to die? And why did I have to go through that? And I don't like you very much because I could never build a relationship with something, you know, that I wasn't truly honest with. And, you know, after another a week of, of having those types of conversations and, and really just yelling in anger, what what happened at the end of it is maybe somebody in the meeting I went to said, hey, could you pray for my wife, Jody? She's going she's going in surgery today. And I would find myself like cussing out God. And then at the end saying like, oh, yeah. And like, can you be with Jody today as she goes through her surgery? And all of a sudden this relationship started changing and I started seeing a change in my heart. And then I started finding this gratitude and I started, you know, wanting to get into the word and wanting to really to know what was happening. And when I flew back down here to Arizona, I got really heavily reinvested in a church. I knew who my God was. There wasn't any questions about it. I wasn't searching anymore and trying out, testing all these different religions and, and seeing which one I connected with most. Like I was very firm about what I believed in and just wanted to explore that more. And, you know, God's really done the rest. So it was it was just a little bit of openness and it was God using me at that time because, you know, when I look back to that first day of getting sober, nothing had changed. Like, I don't know. Nothing was different than that time than any other time. You know, I was just in the right place at the right time with, with my ears open to hear a message. Yeah, that's so good. So I get together every Wednesday with this group called Car Church. Every Wednesday when I want to get up at 4.30 in the morning and it's a bunch, of, and that's not every Wednesday, but there's a bunch of car people and we, we talk God and the people that have been through what you and I have been through and we just read scripture and then we just talk about, we talk about that. We talk about what that scripture means and today was Ephesians 6. So I'm going to read this out loud because this is my brother Wade's story right here. And uh, and I'm going to go to the whole armor of God. And it's, it's Ephesians 6.10, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. You trusted him. You let it go. <laughs> Put on all of God's armor so that you will be 
will stand firm against all the stories of the devil. That's what I heard in you. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Dude, wait, isn't that so good, man? I mean, it's just great scripture to read to a newcomer that's just trying to stay sober. And can you, it's okay, tomorrow you can. Right now, we're just going to stay sober. And stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. And I love this because so many people that are on the streets don't have shoes. They don't have clothes. And, and God says, you put on this, this shield. You put on these shoes and I will walk you to the other side. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here's the last part. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And you are who you are today, saving lives because you prayed and let go and were honest and custom God. I love that. Not that love. I don't love that, but I've done it too. I love your transparency and your honesty. And God's just laughing. I think at us and said, okay, when you're done, you just let me know. Here's this part too that reminds me of you, Wade. And this is Paul. This is Paul in jail, locked up, encouraging other people. And this is you, man. This is you were locked up mentally and spiritually. And now you're again housing people that would be on the streets if it wasn't for you. And Paul says, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. This is, you're praying not for your own wealth and homes and fancy cars. You're praying for, you're praying that you can do your work to save these lives and get these people off the streets. And and that's what I hear when I hear this. Um, And this is what Paul says, 620. I am in chains now, still preaching this message of God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking speaking boldly for him as I should. Dude, you aren't in chains now, but you were. You've been released, but you're all about how can I help more people? How can I help more people? How can I help more people? And it is so evident. Wow, dude, what a message, huh? Yeah, I really appreciate that because that, that's how I feel. And I have people who ask me all the time is like, you know, well, when are you going to go on a vacation? And when, when are you going to do this? And and I had the ability to do that stuff, but you know, I just don't feel like that's where my calling is right now. Like I truly feel even a lot of, like I told you the day that I had today, like I wouldn't have it any other way. I lived in sunny Arizona. I have palm trees. We have a pool. Like if there's anything and I don't need a vacation, like why would I want to escape yeah. from this life? What I get to do every day is so great. And, you know, I have that message to share and I wouldn't have it without, you know, that relationship with God, without family, without people like you who've mentored and look, I've looked up to along the way. Like I've just gotten a lot of breaks of people that God have put in my life and it's made everything work out the way it is. And I just believe that it's my job to continue to put in the footwork and do what's on my heart. And uh, I have full faith that it'll work itself out.
Yeah, and you have such a humble spirit and such a great work ethic for the cause. And so you were on TV last week, you were talking about it was overdose awareness. And you, you've obviously seen that first and foremost, but you're also trying to set up a meeting hall. My wife, Mary, is trying to find you one. Tell us a little bit about what you're trying to find out and your mission. Yeah, you've got your fingers crossed as we do this. Tell us about the mission. Tell us about what you're looking for as we start to wrap up. So the the project right now is opening up a meeting hall that is in the Chandler Gilbert area. So one thing that we find with so many people who are struggling with addiction and mental illness and even some homelessness is that they don't really have a place to hear a message. You know, just as I had spoke on my story earlier, my message didn't start in a church. You know, my message started in a meeting hall with other people whose God's impacted their life. So I could hear that from them and then finally make my way into a church to grow. The lack that we have in this area for a place for people to convene who struggle with, you know, whether it's heroin or fentanyl or cocaine or methamphetamine or marijuana or gambling addiction or codependency or all the different things that people struggle with place that those meetings can be held at right now is is so inaccessible to, to so many people to the extent of it can be an hour and a half bus ride one way to get to a meeting where these people can can convene at and you know we say that we go any length for our drug and and to get high and we should go any length to our our sobriety but in this 110 115 degree heat that's a lot to ask for someone. And if we can cut down a little bit of those barriers by giving them a good place to meet, you know, it's, it's a lot of good people in there. It's, it's bringing business to the area. I think that God's going to work in this community and and I'm very, very sure of that. So I'm, I'm not worried about it. You know, I got to tell you, we're doing work that the enemy doesn't want us to do. Right. You've had some situations today where it's just, it doesn't happen logically that this happened. You said one of your house leaders was called to her house and she's in a kind of an emergency situation to one of your houses and she gets rear-ended. you kidding me? And here we are, we're on the most important, and I'm going to get emotional here, but let me, let me breathe. One of the most important things we do in the world, saving lives for those that are broken and hurt and are struggling in group homes and on the streets. And the darn internet cuts out more on this podcast than any other one I've had, but we will not be stopped. We have a God behind us that will, that is in charge and he wins. And I, I will tell you that I see you being an ambassador for the cause and I am so uh, I was going to say freaking, but I don't know if I can say that in this podcast. But since it's mine, I guess I can. I'm so freaking proud of you, and I'm proud of what you're doing. But I, but you don't need to hear that. I'm proud of God, and I love the grace that He's shown you, and the the backpack He's put on your back for you to carry up the hill because He knows that you can handle it. And I'm honored. 
to be your friend. I'm honored to be on your leadership team with you. I'm honored to be side by side as we change the lives and celebrate recovery. I thank you for what you've done for our ministry. I thank you for your skills of presenting and of speaking. And I'm just honored too that you were on, took the time with us today. I know you have had a busy, crazy day, but you didn't, it didn't stop you from showing up. So thank you, brother Wayne. Well, thank you so much, Bart. And you know, for anybody out there, Bart is someone that has always been a person you can reach out to, you can get in touch with. He changes lives with his coaching, with his mentorship, with all the things that that he has going. And he has so many different ways to reach so many different people, whether it's you need a little bit of motivation, you need leadership. He has perfect examples or different tests that you can run so you can get to better know yourself and he knows how to better teach to you. I just want to thank you for being such a mentor to me, such a good friend even extending the hand to invite me on this podcast. You've invited me into your home before. You guys have a beautiful home. It's a marriage that I look up to. And I'm just I'm just so full of gratitude at this minute. Yeah. I love you, brother. Really do. I love you and, too, man. And so grateful for what you're doing in this in this community. So let's and thanks for the plug, the checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so tell them how they can get a hold of you more importantly and connect with you plugged in recovery yeah so if you want to connect with me on social media my facebook is my name it's wade mulhauser if you want to check out our website it's azsober.com that's azsober.com if you know of a person or you yourself is struggling or maybe you just have some questions about what that process would look like reach out you can find me on the website or you can follow us on instagram at plugged in recovery that is at Plugged In Recovery. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thank you for what you're doing again. And, you know, it's just, again, God works. There's no way, back to what we said when we first started, that us two are covering God's using both of us and that both of us are on AZ Arizona. What is it? Good morning, Arizona last week. That yeah. is God, right? That is, that is God. We're doing in the community is God. And I'm, again, proud to be partnering up with you on the Celebrate Recovery side. Let's get, yeah, that meeting hall, bro. <laughs> yes. Yes. Amen to that. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. If you like it, let us know. Give us some feedback. Subscribe. We could use all the help we can get. We've got more and more viewers every week because of interviews like we had today. So thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. God bless you. and you've been listening to Keep the Change. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating and a review and share your favorite part of this episode by messaging me on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining me.